We've really appreciated your ministry again and the fellowship that we've had with you. Titus chapter 2, Paul's epistle. And Paul says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Amen. Well, good evening, friends. A very special joy once again to be with you. I live in the north of England uh, in Lancashire. I've been exiled up there for 50 almost years because I'm by birth a Devonian. And so was my wife a Devonian. You may notice that I say she was a Devonian. My dear lovely wife, as went to be with the Lord um, nearly ten years ago. I don't say I've lost her because I know where she is. Nothing can be lost if you know where it is, right? And I still, as I say, love her and miss her. I don't hear voices, I'm not that sort of a person, but in my imagination I still hear my wife saying, I wish you'd shut doors behind you. <laughs> in the habit of going from one room to another, leave the doors open. And uh, time you had a haircut, she'd say, get, get your haircut. And I sometimes think, when I see her uh, in the glory, friends, Christians are going to heaven when we die. We shall see each other in that better land. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. The Lamb will be all the glory there. And uh, I think it was um, Brotherton, Fred, Frederick Brotherton Meyer, F.B. Meyer, who was asked, do our loved ones who've gone before miss us? He said, I'll have to think about that. Next Sunday, if you approach me and ask me, I'll have a think about it and let you know my opinion. The next week when they came, he told them this, do our loved ones who've gone before their dear dust lies in the grave. And we go to visit as I do. And then my children, go, our children go, do they miss us? And he said, I think my answer is yes, they do. But not as we miss them. That's a lovely thought. Not as we miss them. And uh, friends, it is a lovely joy to be here. Thank you for your welcome. And I love being here this morning. You've got some... Very fine, lovely people. I've enjoyed my stay. And then some thought that I gave the impression that I've stayed in a posh hotel when I've been here. Costing a lot of money perhaps. 
I don't know what the people's imaginations. Well, I've not stayed in a posh hotel. I've been in better than a hotel. I've been staying with uh, Dave and Marilyn uh, at Middlestoke Royal Hotel. <laughs> That's been good. I'm so grateful to them. Thank them for their love and their welcome. And of course, your dear pastor and his wife, you've a wonderful man. We thank the Lord for him. We've loved him and thank the Lord for him in the work of the prophetic witness movement for many years. So thank you for having me to be your speaker. I'm no one special or important. I'm just one of God's uh, little... Yeah, the, I, I mentioned this morning, a lady said, Oh, Mr. Passmore, you haven't got a church now. No. You're not a pastor of a church anymore? No. And what do you do? Well, I wandered all around. Scotland, I've just come back from Romania. Oh dear, she's a very posh lady. You're sort of a gypsy then, she said. I said, well, I suppose I am. But I'm a gypsy for Jesus. And she said, oh, very nice. So that was that. In the church, not this one, the pastor got word that there was unsettledness. A certain woman in the church was causing a lot of unrest and trouble in the fellowship. Sometimes it's men that do that. Always it's the devil up to his tricks doing that. He thought I'd better go and have a word with this lady. Find out what sister so and so. She's a member of the church. I'll go and call on her. He made careful inquiries of when she would be in from the neighbours. And he called and knocked the door. There was no reply. Uh, here I will let you into a little secret. Our pastor here would, perhaps would agree. I'm sure he would. When you've been to many, many doors as I have as a pastor, uh, there, if people don't answer the door, there are still ways that you can th- be pretty sure whether they're in or not. Uh, of course, the obvious one is the milk bottle. If they haven't taken the milk in, then they're, they're still aren't about. That's little things like that. But the pastor called the door. And he knocked the door. There was no reply. Nobody in. But he was sure she was. So he knocked again. No reply. And then he did something that no pastor would ever, should ever do. I wouldn't. I'm sure your pastor wouldn't have done it. He knelt on the mat at the front door opened the letterbox like this and looked through. To his horror, as he looked through the letterbox, there were two eyes looking out at him. (laughs) She she was looking out to see if he'd gone. He was looking in to see if she was about. There was a big kerfuffle. Oh, the door flew open. Oh, pastor, you're so welcome at my home any (laughs) time. Please come in. They fell into a good conversation and things got cleared up. She misunderstandings understandings and people say things they shouldn't and so on. And in the end, they had a wonderful prayer meeting together and they were both delighted. And then as he left, she said, Pastor, I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad we ended up seeing eye to eye with, with each other. <laughs> yes, he said, but don't forget we both had to be on our knees to see eye and eye. The Bible says, follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And uh, this is the joy of the pastor. I hope you pray for your pastor. You have some wonderful young people came this morning. And it was a privilege to speak with them. With them and some lovely little children. Tomorrow I motor back up to my strange home in the north of England. But I have some very dear friends up there as well. And two dear children. 
and six grandchildren in the north of England. So it's not likely I'll be coming down to live in dear old Devon again. So tomorrow, God willing, I go home. I was hoping to get a few days, a little break. I was going to go to Plymouth, where I came from. Um, I wasn't born in Plymouth, but I was in Plymouth. I was born when the war broke out. The second one, not the first one. <laughs> and uh, in the city of Plymouth, they got a basting down there. And my parents, grandparents, I was in their home with my mother. My father was in the war. And the bombs were dropping and I was in the air raid shelter. My mother used to put me in a box. So she told me. A wooden box, a drawer out of an old chest of drawers. Put the baby in. And then she'd take me to the air raid shelter and lay on top. She'd say, Hitler won't get my little boy. Praise God he didn't. I wouldn't be here else. But that was my recollections from um, years gone by. Well, let's turn to the Word of God. This morning we uh, principled in the Old Testament. And this evening we shall look into the New Testament. And if you wish, please turn to the little epistle of Paul to Titus. And we're in chapter 2, reading from... Verse 11. Our dear pastor, we thank the Lord for him. He's already read, but I'm going to reread. Titus, chapter 2. Timothy, Titus, chapter 2, and verse 11, please. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. Will you please underscore in your thinking that word, appeared, that is at his first advent. Bethlehem, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, it means serious-mindedly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. I pause because there is the second occasion of the word appearing. He has appeared, that is at his first advent, But he's going to have a second appearing, a subsequent, another appearing. And it's mentioned here, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. What a glorious appearing it will be, the second advent of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now friends, the people of God, and I trust you're one of them, if not become one of God's people tonight. You can trust the Savior. He loves you. Wants you to be saved. Eternally saved. From being eternally lost. Very, very important that we have settled our eternal destiny for glory or the grave. The people of God, that is the Christian church, live between two appearings. We've read about them. The grace of God hath appeared. Speaks of his first advent. And for all who look for the the worldly lust should live soberly and righteous in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So we are looking for another appearing, a second or subsequent appearing. Now I would like you please to listen carefully. The people of God live in the interval between those two appearings. One appearing is past. One appearing we're looking for, we read, Titus 2. And we, you and I, live between those two appearings. Historically, biblically, we live between those two. Now the correct word for appearing in our Bible 
is epiphany. We live between the two epiphanies, the two appearings of the Lord from heaven. The Bible is lucid from Genesis to Revelation that Jesus Christ, Son of God and God the Son, will break into human history, not once, but two times. The first time in mercy to save the world. The second time in majesty to judge the world. He will appear twice. The two epiphanies, the interval between them, is where we are in God's great plan of all the ages. And how wonderful. At college, I'm sorry to say this, I don't like to run down my college, although just recently I've had to write a very stiff letter to Cliff College in Derbyshire. In college, I was assured, because uh, the Methodist College was a sort of a mixture, you see, you've got a little bit of truth and a little bit of error, very dangerous, uh, a mixture. And we were taught that nowhere does the New Testament mention the phrase, the second coming. We were very keen about the second coming. I was always glad that Jesus is coming again. Are you? Friends, world's in a great mess. What's going to happen? The Lord is coming. Going to take somebody bigger than Rishi Washi, what's he called? Well, whatever his name is. Uh, Somebody bigger than Bill Clinton, than uh, the, the President of America. It's going to take God to put the planet back on course. And he's going to come. And he's going to do it in the person of his son. Well, there is a verse which uses that expression, second coming. And uh, my tutors missed it. It's in Hebrews 9 and verse 28. You may like to turn. Here's a great verse for you this morning, this, this evening. Uh, Hebrews 10. Yes. No, I'm sorry. Hebrews 9 and verse 28. And I will read. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, that is, at his first appearing. And unto them that look for him, and I hope we're looking for him, he shall appear, that is, at his second advent, the second time, without sin unto salvation. What could be clearer? The second advent of our Lord is spoken of as the second time, or the second appearing. At his ascension, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples stood, you remember, gazing into heaven in mute astonishment. The Savior, the man they loved, the rabbi, the teacher. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But he was crucified, dead, buried, then resurrected, and now to be ascended back to the Father. And as he went, what strange and mixed emotions must have filled the minds and hearts of the disciples as they saw him go in Acts chapter 1. And two angels, two shining emissaries, were dispatched from the throne with a message for those baffled disciples. Why stand you, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, as you have seen him go into heaven, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Isn't that wonderful? This same Jesus, F.B. Meyer said, we don't want another Jesus. We want this same Jesus. And that's what the angel said. This same Jesus. Friends, he went visibly. He'll come back visibly. He went audibly. He's returning audibly. He went personally. 
He'll be coming back personally. He went a real Jesus. When he comes back, the whole world will know he is a real Jesus. Here is the blessed hope of the church. The Bible speaks that he who came so many years ago to be spat upon, (coughs) publicly rejected, humiliated and mocked, will return to be globally vindicated as the rightful ruler of the universe. The king is coming. The king, not coming to be spat upon, to die again on the cross. No, that was done once and for all. Did he not cry, it is finished? Not a cry of dereliction and despair, I am finished. But a cry of triumph. It is finished, I've done it. He had paid and love's redeeming sacrifice had secured the eternal salvation of every sinner that would ever come to him. So when he comes, he's not to be publicly humiliated, but to be globally vindicated. His return will be as unexpected and cataclysmic as anything. He will intervene to, intervene to end the tyranny and the madness and the human of the of human the madness of human rebellion god defying social sexual militant secular anger and he's coming back when he comes he's going to set up a glorious kingdom the kingdom for which he taught the church to pray you remember thy kingdom come and in the greek new testament it's interesting that word come it refers to A cataclysm, it means to come suddenly. A cataclysm, not a process. Not a gradual uh, thousand years, gradually the kingdom coming. But a cataclysm, my kingdom come suddenly, like this. And so the scriptures teach us. (coughs) Now, (coughs) what are we to be doing in this interval between the two epiphanies? What, are the Christian, what is the Christian church to be up to? And what is God's purpose and plan? And what is our supreme task? The task of the 21st century church. What is God doing and what is he expecting us to do in this, I've called it the interval between the two appearings or, or epiphanies. Now a growing current of teaching in the church, including sadly the evangelical church, You will know, don't you, that the church, like the world, is in trouble. I speak not of this church or of the church of born-again believers, which I always call the community of the redeemed. We're one all all over the world. The church in the last days will apostatize, and it's happening everywhere. The church is falling away from the authority of God's word, of scripture, what should we do? The Bible says you leave it. If you stay in and try and cure it, you'll, you'll, you'll become like the apostasy. The Bible says there will be those, 1 Timothy chapter 3, people having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. But then it says, from such turn away. Don't have fellowship with them. Turn away from them. Don't be nasty. No need for that. We love everybody. But we just don't go along with what you're saying. So let me repeat. What is the, the purpose of God in this time between these two appearances? There is a growing 
body of opinion within the church which is erroneous it is that this is the kingdom now the kingdom of God for which we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven oh yes well that's here it's a sort of a growing thing you see and the kingdom of God is now how sad I was taught this in Bible college I was falsely taught that the kingdom of God began on the day of Pentecost. That the kingdom is the church. Those two are synonymous. The kingdom is now. Now there is a sense in which the kingdom of God is, it is true, in mystery form now within the hearts of believers. We are under the kingship, lordship of Christ. An invisible king, we cannot see him, but he rules us. By his word and by his spirit. We must make it our aim to live as loyal subjects of Jesus Christ. If we don't live as loyal subjects of Jesus Christ. We'll do what the formal church is doing. We'll live under the authority of the culture in which we live. And culture is going to hell. This is what Satan is doing. We have to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. And what saith the scripture? Whenever Christian... You or I ever decide to be, decide to be a Bible Christian. A man, a woman, believing in the absolute authority and sufficiency of the word of God. The scriptures, the word Bible, (laughs) you know the word Bible, we use it all the time, but it's not a Bible word, it's not in the Bible. Uh, the, The scriptures referring to itself speaks of the scriptures, the writings. So I was falsely taught that the kingdom of God is here now. And then I was taught as a young man through many years of my early life as a Christian that Jesus is the king of the church. Have you heard that? Is Jesus Christ the king of the church? Nowhere in the, in the scripture is he called the king of the church. He's the king of Israel. And the lord of the church. The head of the church. And I repeat, the king of Israel. We must never forget that Jesus is king of the Jews. He was born their king. Wise men came from the east. Not many wise men knocking around in Britain now. But wise men came from the east. Where is he, Herod, who has been born king of the Jews? And he was tricked. As they tricked him, he didn't want to know who he was. Tell me. But he, didn't, he just wanted to kill the king of the Jews. They would still kill him today. And then when he died, friends, on the cross, written over him in three languages, a multi-faith, multi-religious society is coming back, written, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He was born their King. He died their King. Let's never forget that Jesus is King of the Jews. But is he King of the Church? I don't find that in my Bible. He's Head of the Church, Lord of the Church. And then I was taught that we're all waiting for the kingdom to come. And I read, as I read my Bible, I thought, no, I'm not waiting for the kingdom to gradually come on earth. I'm waiting not for the kingdom, I'm waiting for the king. And come to think of it, how can you have a kingdom without a king? How can there be the kingdom of God on earth while the king is absent? He's in heaven. And then I was taught that my task is not to be an evangelist or soul winner, is to be a kingdom builder. 
and I have dear colleagues that write to me and they put so and so, sign their name and then they put kingdom builder. They're building the kingdom of God. Am I a kingdom builder? Where am I commanded to go into the world and build a kingdom? The kingdom of God. No, I don't find that. They teach post-millennialism that the instrument of the kingdom of God is the church. See, they say, we're going to bring the kingdom in. We're going to build the kingdom. The kingdom is now, and bit by bit, we're going to build the kingdom of God. The church, the wonderful church, um, is going to build the kingdom of God. And then we'll say to the Lord Jesus, you can come back now. We've made a great job of things down here. Can you see that happening? No. False teaching. Erroneous teaching. Sounds good. It's not right. How sad. And then, when the church has Christianized the world, they say, we will invite the Lord back. This is what post-millennialism teaches. If you're not sure by now, I think you'll probably know I'm a convinced and committed pre-millennial Bible teacher. But they say that we will invite Christ uh, to come back. And this is where environmental theology is coming to the church. Perhaps you haven't come across it in a lovely Bible fellowship like this with a godly pastor that preaches the Bible. See, when I was a young man at Cliff College in the old days, we were taught when you take a service, you uh, lead a service, yes. You have your hymns, yes. You pray, yes. When you come to the sermon, the first words to come out of your mouth when you come to the sermon on Sunday morning is... My text today is, you announce your text or Bible message that you're going to preach. You're not in the pulpit to entertain people or amuse them or give them even a lecture. You're there under the seal and authority of the King of Kings to deliver the message of God's word. You're there to to preach the Bible or as Paul writes, to preach the word instant, in season and out season out of season. So, friends, these erroneous teachings that the kingdom is now and environmental theology, there are books being, you buy them in Bible bookshops, that we've got to be busy building the kingdom. How do you do it? Oh, well, they tell us we're, we're to make habitats for bats and hedgehogs, look after the planet and all this kind of a thing. Because this is the world which is God's kingdom. And this is what we've got to do. We have to build the kingdom. But not to win souls for Christ. How sad. I want to draw your attention to a brief passage in the book of Acts. Which I would say is impossible of interpretation. Apart from the teaching that Christ must return before the kingdom. That is the pre-millennial return of Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 15. And if you're following in your Bible, that's good. And we're at verse 14. Acts 15 and verse 14. And I submit to you that this passage of Scripture is impossible of any interpretation other than pre-millennial, the pre-millennial return of Jesus or the pre-kingdom We're not waiting for the kingdom or building the kingdom. We are waiting for the king. And our job is to win souls for Christ. 
wind salt, we shall come to it in a second. Acts 15, verse 13. After that they held their peace. James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Go back over the verse, if you will, friends. Note the word first. He's speaking about from the day of Pentecost, the church program, if we may say that, God's purpose between the two epiphanies. What is God doing? The cross is behind, the resurrection is behind, the ascension is behind, but the day of Pentecost has come. What is the church's task on the day of Pentecost? To build the kingdom? No. We shall see. God at the first, from the day of Pentecost, and the first isn't the second, God did visit the Gentiles, that is the nations, to take out of them a people for his name. Note the expression, to take out of them. No one in history has the gospel saved everyone in any community. Everywhere in history the gospel has gathered people out of communities all over the world. Gospel never saved everyone. It's not God's purpose. But has called them out. Here uh, James says to take out of them a people for his name. That's a reference to the ecclesia, the called out ones. The church is a called out body of believers. Verse 15, and to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this, let's pause, after what? After the church is complete. After he's called out of the nations, the Gentiles, a people for his name, I will return. Isn't that clear? And we'll build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen down and will build again the ruins thereof and will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called says the Lord who do, doeth all these things. We note the expression first. The day of Pentecost not to build a kingdom but to proclaim the gospel and call a church out of the Gentiles. And then after this when the church is complete, when God is finished with the church, not that he ever forsake the church, when he's finished building his church, he'll turn again to the Jewish people and his program for the kingdom, which will be a messianic kingdom, and build again the tabernacle of David. He, he will bring in, after this, when he is finished calling out of the nations, a people for his name. After this. He is waiting until his saved people are gathered complete and the task is finished and then I will return and build again the tabernacle of David. When he is finished with the Gentile nations he will return to the Jew and build yes the Davidic throne in Jerusalem the temple, the tabernacle of David. Paul writing in Romans 11.25 he says you remember this verse? Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Let's go back over it. The blindness upon the Jewish mind and heart is partial, partial not complete. It is temporary and not, not permanent. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until, that same word is in Acts chapter 
15, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So when the fullness of the Gentiles, on evangelistic, there's the times of the Gentiles, which is a different thing. The fullness of the Gentiles is when the, the gospel has reached the last sinner that God will call to himself and the church is complete. When the church is complete, the Lord will turn again and take the blindness from the eyes of the Jewish people and a great revival will take place among world Jewry and Israel will return to her great task as God's witnesses in that time. So the Lord is waiting. Why is the Lord waiting? Why 2,000 years? Do you ever watch the news and wonder how much longer is God going to put up with this? How much longer are we going to wait until justice and equity comes to the world? How long before the rightful ruler of the universe comes and takes up his throne rights upon the earth? This is the earth God made. It's been hijacked. Satan is the god of this world. We're living not under a theocracy, but a Satanocracy. When will the Lord Jesus come? Well, when he has called out a people for his name. Right now he's calling them out. And he has long patience. The scripture, I, I, I've got it here, that the Lord is waiting. The Lord is long-suffering to us. Not willing that any should perish. But that all shall come to repentance. And this is the time between the two comings. Epiphanies appearings. He's calling out of China. A people for his name. America. And Britain. And Bath. What's, what is our job? Is to join with Christ. In calling out of people. Out of the Gentiles for his name. And then he will return. That, isn't that clear? So the second advent of Christ. Waits the work completion of the work and the completion of the church then he will return again build the tabernacle of David mentioned in Luke chapter 1 to the Mary the father of our Lord and the Gentile nations he will finish with and will return and will build a messianic kingdom this is our only hope and our only optimism God's plan gives future hope post-millennialism that Christ will turn after the kingdom is built. We're going to do. Never done it yet. 2,000 years. We never succeeded even in days of great revivals. Days of Moody and Sankey and the Salvation Army. General William Booth. What a, what a mighty man General William Booth was. You see the picture of him with his big long beard all down here? Somebody asked him, William Booth, what's the secret? How did you do it? Raising up. An army all over the world. The Salvation Army. Men and women committed to saving souls. How did you do it? And I read him a book. The old man's head went down. And he said the only answer I've got to that is. God has always had all there is, all there is of General William Booth. God's always had all there is of me. I held nothing back. And so when the Lord has finished his church. He will return to his plan. Uh, post-millennialism I would be very depressed if I believed that I'm a pre-millennialist as I've mentioned why would I be depressed and why is it that all the great evangelists Billy Graham uh, General William Booth I've mentioned all the great soul winners they were all pre-millennial men why 
Because post-millennialism is no hope for the world. There are more heathen in the world now than there was in apostolic times. We're, we're not building the kingdom. There are more heathen in the world now than the time of Christ. More heathen in the last 100 years than all the way through even the days of William Carey and the modern missionary movement. There are more children born today than children of God are being born again. Are we failing? How is the church failing? And is Christ failing? No. The business of the church was never to build the kingdom of God. That God, Jesus Christ, is going to do that at his return. Our job is to join in the great gospel crusade to bring the message of the gospel to the saved, to the unsaved, and call out of the world of people for his name. When the king comes, will you turn to Revelation chapter 20, folks? I'll finish with this. Revelation chapter 20. Here is the kingdom. We call it the millennium. It's correct. It's not a Bible word. And yet it is. Milli is a thousand in uh, Latin. And annum, of course, is years. The millennial reign of Christ. The thousand years. And listen, friends. That phrase, the thousand years, is mentioned six times in Revelation 20. It's the chronology of the coming messianic kingdom. The Jewish people will be central. Jesus will rule the world from the throne of his father David. The Davidic throne in Jerusalem. Do you know this? Jerusalem is the coming worship center of the world. Where is Jesus coming to when he returns? He come to London? No. New York? No. Moscow? No. He's coming to the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. And if the church doesn't know that, the powers of hell do. Conflict in the Middle East. The destruction of the Jews. The Holocaust. Why does the world hate the Jews? Because Christ will return to that land. Oh yes. And when he came the first time, he came to his people there. He will come to his people at the second coming. And had we time, we could see how a nation will be born in a day. A whole, the only people on earth that have been promised a national born-again experience is the nation of the Jewish people. And they will be born in a day to receive their Messiah. How wonderful. Have you got Revelation chapter 20? Have you got it open in front of you? Please say yes if you have. Good. I was up all night getting this ready for you, so I hope 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 you're going to listen. Revelation chapter 20. When Jesus comes... He's going to punish believers, unbelievers out of his pre- presence. Verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. He's going to punish evil men, murderers and killers and sinners out of his presence. Number two, in verse three, hey, he's going to put the devil out of business. Verse 3, he bound Satan a thousand years, the end of verse 2, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years. I mentioned six times, and it's not a thousand years, but the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. 
when Jesus comes at his second epiphany, he's going to put the devil out of business, bind him up, bind him in chains. He's going to publish the, the book of human accountability. And then in Revelation 19 and verse 7, uh, we can just have a quick look at that. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. I would put in there at the judge, at the, yes, at the judgment seat of Christ when our works will be tried with fire. Jesus is going to preside over a supper for resurrected saints, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, I ought to tell you, I enjoy my food. I don't know what most men do. And uh, what a supper that will be. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he's going to preside over a re-Edenized and perfected climate. And world climate. 22 and verse 12. Revelation 22. What will it be when the king comes? Revelation 22 and verse 12. Behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give to every man. That's the judgment seat of Christ according to his work shall be. And how wonderful that the Lord Jesus will preside over a re-Eden. How we time we could go into it. The prophet Isaiah says the lion shall lay down with the lamb. And the ox will, the lion will eat straw like the ox. The whole of the biosphere will be re-Edenized. It will be Eden brought back again. Even animals will be pacified. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Um, Carnivores will revert to herbivores as God made them in the beginning. It was the fall that brought destruction and death to the planet. And how wonderful that God is going to do this. Now I don't know if I told you this before. But once I was driving in my car through the midlands of England. And I passed a big church. I don't know what sort of church it was. But it must have been a pretty good one according to the poster outside. A big one. It said and I was, I was uh, stopped. Car. I thought I'd better stop the car a minute. And it was, I was free to... Outside the church it said, hope for planet earth. That's nice. Hope for planet earth. Owner returning soon. Good. Hope for planet earth. Owner returning soon. The world's only hope is the second advent of Jesus. Praise God, he is coming. The king is coming. The king. Had we time, we could look into the book of Zechariah. When he comes to Jerusalem and rules the world, he'll rule us with a rod of iron. Jesus Christ will be king of the United Kingdom. And in Zechariah we read, the law will go forth from Jerusalem. Holy, godly laws will be given. Not the laws we're having in Britain now. Corrupting the minds of our little children. No, the law will go forth from Jerusalem. 
Jesus Christ will rule the world in righteousness. Hope, optimism for planet Earth. The owner is coming soon. Thank you for listening in this uh, important phase of God's eternal plan. In between those two epiphanies, our great job will be very frustrated if we try and build the kingdom. Is to win men and women for Jesus Christ. To give our lives and our prayers to that. I meet them, the young people, shortchanged, given no answers to what's going on in the world. Young people, baffled and confused. Uh, I speak to them on the streets. It's a great joy to do so. And they, I live near the university city, Lancaster. They come from all over the world. Youngsters from China we had once we were able to share the gospel with. And the hope of the world is Jesus. Thank you for listening. Will you join me in a little word of prayer? Shall we bow our heads together? We give thanks, our loving Father, Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord, for the two times that the Scripture, the unfailing Scriptures of truth, tell us that Jesus will come to the world he loves. Thank you for that first epiphany to die on a cross, to give his life a ransom for the many, to die that sinners like us might live. We give thanks for that day when we believed the gospel and we could say, Hallelujah, it is done. I believe on the Son and I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. We look on to that great day when the Lord Jesus, this same Jesus, will come again. Not to be rejected and crucified, but to be globally vindicated as the rightful ruler of the universe. We say, Amen. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. And all God's children said, Amen. Thank you. And one or two even shouted, (laughs) you didn't get it, don't worry. Uh, Yes, hallelujah. Well, You know what hallelujah means? Hallel. It's a Hebrew word. Hallel. Praise. And it's an invitation and a command. Praise ye. It's calling upon people to praise the Lord. Hallel. And Yah, of course, is an abbreviation of God's holy name. Praise ye the Lord. Come, let us praise him. It's saying, Hallel. Let us come and praise and give thanks to the Lord. Aren't you glad that the King is coming? To... Take control of human history and to bring about a glorious kingdom. We can do it. Jesus is going to do it. And maybe he's going to do it sooner than we ever thought. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Because uh, how much longer will he wait? Thank you for listening.